What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Doster T.O. and Phantom Podcast, the ETF Podcast, if you hadn't heard. Uh, it is Wednesday, October 27th. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined today by my two co-hosts, John Phantom, who you can see right now is at the Big E Studios. He's back, baby. And we have Terrence Oglesby, who is wearing a shirt representing the SoCon 100 Years. 100 Years of SoCon, baby. 100 Years of SoCon. Hey, Fanta, I don't know if you know this. T.O. T.O.'s the new uh, the new scoop master in college basketball. I didn't mean that. See, here's a, here's here's the problem. I got that I got that information from two very reliable sources, and it, it may or may not happen. But like <laughs> at the same time, like I didn't know whether or not I should tweet out the expansion possibilities, but uh, I got it from two very reliable sources. So take it for what you want. Well, you didn't say it's going to happen. What you no, said, I said there's the murmurs that this is the possibility of something that can happen. You're not wrong. Murmurs, yeah, murmurs. <laughs> you like the word murmurs, but hey, here's a, here's the murmur for people who didn't see it. College of Charleston, Elon, thinking about going back to the SoCon, and there's also whispers of UNC Wilmington that might uh, jump ship as well. So wow. we have we have murmurs, have we ones. have whispers. Do we have any rumblings? Are there any rumblings right now? I don't know about rumblings, but there's definitely murmurs. All right, so I <laughs> I'm not even sure if I spelled wrong. murmurs right, but there's murmurs. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think murmurs and whispers all fall under the chatter category, right? Where, where if it was rumblings, then it'd be a little bit more than just chatter. So, right, but we heard it from To first. Yes. He, he, you're in a perfect spot right now in the news breaking business because you've just put out murmurs. But if this turns into rumblings or strong talks, then we did hear it from you first. <laughs> you can quote tweet anyone who then says there's major rumblings and say, I mean, come on, you could do the you could do the security guy in the last dance, Jeff. Of yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's it's funny you say that, Phantom, because it, it, once you kind of get into media and you can see the way that a lot of things are phrased, where people are like, there's very specific words that newsbreakers will use when something oh. they think is going to end up happening, uh, but it hasn't actually happened yet and it's not done, where they say like, this is expected to happen. If you see sources say expected and you see expects in there, then that's your that's your out. That you could say something changed. But this don't is you love don't you love on Twitter when you read like seven straight tweets of the same person being questionable for the next game? Like not not like one or two, like seven consecutive. And it's it's like five reporters, but then one fan site, and then like the team site, and then like you're like, guys, I think we know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and then and then you get the tweets where it's like they they. They say uh, X player is expected to be questionable, and they put in parentheses at Adam Schefter to make it seem like they're not. <laughs> just stealing the tweet, but they are just stealing the tweets in the info. It's uh, 
I don't know why anyone would want to get into this business. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm starting to realize how that how, how that stuff works. Well, so it's, it's, I, I, we're not really... anymore, guys. We're we're podcasters. We're officially talent. We're officially content creators at this point. That's Which it. brings us to this podcast and this episode. This is uh this is going to be um, the, uh, the 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 pressing questions, the burning questions, the most important questions, the the question marks we have. Lots of questions that we're going to be answering. So this is what the format's going to be. I got a timer on my phone. I have ten. Of what the three of us, uh, college basketball experts, have determined are the most important questions heading into this season. So we're going to spend. No, we're, we're experts, Tio. We're ex- we, we may not be newsbreakers, but we can be self self proclaimed experts. There you go. <laughs> so we're going to answer each of these ten questions for five minutes. They're what we think are kind of the most important things to figure out as we head into this college basketball season. So I'll start with this, guys. Uh, Fancy, I'm going to go to you first. Who? Is the best team in the Big Ten, and can a league that thrives on play that is throwback basketball, big guys throw it down into the post. Sometimes you play two bigs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Can teams that play that way in a league that thrives that way have success in March? Go, you're on the clock. Well, first and foremost, yes. I think in March there's such a randomness at times to the draw, and so I think that last year's Big Ten struggles in March, that to me is an anomaly. I, I think that. March Madness is can can go in so many different ways. Who is the best team in the Big Ten? I'm going to bet on Jawan Howard and Michigan as being the best team in the Big Ten because I think for the level that Hunter Dickinson hit as a freshman, I know that Michigan has some key losses, but I, I just like the makeup of this team. And I think you're in a situation where Eli Brooks is poised to make the next step in his career. I really like Jawan Howard's ability to get players that fit what he wants to do the fact is Devontae Jones had to be a scorer at his previous stop uh Coastal Carolina he is going to be a pass first guard for Michigan and when you have Jones and Brooks in your backcourt I think the table is set for some of those newcomers to the fold for Michigan in an outstanding recruiting class to really benefit in their catch and shoot opportunities and I think that Dickinson could be uh, the best player in the country. I really do. I love everything about this kid. I think the game goes to his style. And I trust Juwan Howard, guys. I really have this high trust for Howard. I think he might be – you could argue he's the best hire of any program in the last decade. That's how much I think of Juwan Howard because he had huge shoes to fill for John Beeline. People had their questions. They had some, – some people didn't know if it would work out. It has worked out. And then some there's absolutely a case for Purdue and maybe on paper heading into the season, they are the best team. But I think that when it's all said and done, the Michigan Wolverines are going to be there because I think that they have the best player in the big 10 Dickinson. And I think they've got the coach who I can't see slowing down. His, his record speaks for itself. I'm going with the Wolverines. I'm going with Purdue. I, I, you, for a lot of the reasons that you just said, but I also really trust Matt Painter. I think he's one of the best in the country. And Doster, Fanta, we both, we've all talked about how good he is in X's and O's and all, all, in all of those things. But Jaden Ivey, super talented. Travion Williams, obviously, potentially an All American for them. And then Zach Ivey, who's going to come off the bench. They have size on size on size, but they've been talking about Purdue doesn't have shooting. Brandon Newman's a good player. Eight points a game, close to 40%. Sasha, Sasha Stefanovic, 9.3, 40% from three. 
they have guys that can shoot. Are they going to need to shoot it at a higher clip and, and a little bit? They're going to need those two are going to need more volume. But I think Purdue has other guys that could do it as well. As far as can Purdue win in the tournament, I think, like you said, Fanta, there's so much variability and so much craziness that goes on with March Madness. But one thing that you can count on are being able to throw the ball in the post and get an easy bucket when you need to. I think Purdue has that in spades with Williams and Ivy. So give me Purdue and Coach Painter to win the Big Ten. So I, I think I think that, that you guys are probably right in that it's going to be Michigan and Purdue uh, battling it out. But I'm going to give the case for Illinois just for fun. Um, you can make the argument that Kofi is actually the best returning player in uh in in the big 10 this season he averaged 17.5 whatever points nine and a half basically 18 to 10 last season they bring back andre curbello who uh, i think is going to be a better fit for the way that this roster is built they might be the best shooting team in the big 10 this season with demonte williams with the kid coming in from utah with trent frazier um with uh with hutcherson with jacob grand like they're gonna have a ton of guys that can shoot on the perimeter around Kofi Coburn and Andre Cabello running those ball screens. I don't know how you stop them offensively. I think their ceiling is legitimately like number one offensive efficiency, uh, offensive efficiency team in college basketball. So um, as long as they are good enough defensively, they're going to be small. As long as they're good enough defensively, I think they got a real shot to win the Big Ten. I kind of think that the team that's going to make the longest run in the tournament, though, is going to end up being Ohio State because I think – with E.J. Liddell and Kyle Young and their ability to kind of play different matchups and different lineups. Um, they got some, uh, some some veteran transfers coming in. I think Justice Suing is uh, better than people realize. Michi Johnson is going to have another year under his belt. Jimmy Sotos is going to be healthy. Um, so I think there's a real argument that they could end up being the team that makes the deepest run in the tournament. Because just for me, I'm always worried about the Big Ten teams that play a certain style in the Big Ten where that is the only, like, only conference – in in basketball in this country right now that kind of plays that style so i think that uh, ohio state can really match up the best with teams nationally no way unbelievable great great time perfectly well didn't I? I timed that perfectly all right let's move on to question number two to you're 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 handling this one first neither duke or kentucky made the ncaa tournament in 2021 this season duke is ranked ninth Kentucky checks in at 10th in the preseason AP poll. Who do you trust more to be in the second weekend of the tournament? And who do you think has a better shot at getting to the final four? Go ahead, T.O. Well, what we've seen over the past few years is that these one and done teams don't typically win. So what does Kentucky do? They go the other direction and they get a bunch of transfers and old guys and guys that fit pieces. And I think that's a big part of March Madness, fitting pieces. So I'm going to go Kentucky, Kellen Grady, Severe Wheeler, uh, Frederick from Iowa. They have pieces everywhere and Word out of Kentucky from our man Goodman to Oscar Tshibwe has been a man-child during the preseason. I like Kentucky. I also like Duke, especially in the ACC. ACC, probably not as good as the SEC, as bad as that hurts for me to say. This season, Duke's still going to be able to compete in conference. But as far as Duke's concerned, a lot of their guys haven't been through the battle of the NCAA tournament because they were so poor last year for a number of reasons. Let's just be clear. For a number of reasons because they were so poor. Yeah, a well, lot of Kentucky's real quick, guys. Real quick, Wendell Moore uh, is a junior. He's a junior veteran. He's never played in the NCAA tournament. He didn't play as a freshman because the season got canceled. Didn't play last season because they didn't make it. Big, big time difference. Big time difference in the approach. Big time difference in a lot of different things. But give me Kentucky just because, hey – I, I'm king of the old guy, old bald guys. They got to be king of the old guy. So give me Kentucky to go farther in the tournament because I think Cal, I like his team. I think it fits 
what he likes to do, especially beast around the boards a little bit bigger and the puzzle pieces fit in Lexington. And not only do the puzzle pieces fit, but you have this going for you too if you're a Kentucky fan and if you're John Calipari. Kentucky basketball just had their worst season in 94 years. Coach Cal had his worst season since 1988-89. And what was Kentucky's bugaboo? A lot of things, but more than anything, this is a guards game. This is a guards game. And the fact of the matter is this. Kentucky's backcourt last year never, ever had any semblance of a rhythm. So what did they do? They brought in shooting. They brought in Kellen Grady, who's not just a shooter, but a playmaker. He could be a guy who contends in in an open SEC player of the year race. I think Grady fits what Coach Cal wants perfectly. C.J. Frederick, knockdown shooter. I mean, in your eye hole type of knockdown shooter. And then you look at what they brought in beyond that. You have Ty Ty Washington coming in. You don't have to apply all the pressure on him to perform because Severe Wheeler is prepared to be a playmaking guard. And I think Wheeler can fully embrace the role of making plays for others with these shooters around him. So I look at Kentucky and I love the way that Coach Cal adjusted, adapted, and hey, then you get to the rim protection element. They have that too, because not only is it Chibwe, but how about the bouncy freshman in Damian Collins, who is supposed to be a player who will help them as well. Kentucky has experience. They also have the flash of some of the youth. And they have a head coach who has got to be so fired up to bounce back and say, you know what? We still do own the SEC. The SEC is going to be a better league than the ACC. But guess what? I'm not doubting Coach Cal and Big Blue Nation. So I'm, I'm going to go with Duke here. And I, I do love Kentucky. I think fired me up. Like top 10 team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's, it's Duke. And the simple reason is this. Paolo Bancaro could end up being the best player in college basketball this year. The, the, I mean, when you have a guy, he's think about it like this, man. He's the size of the guys that are the big men in the Big Ten, and he plays the point. He handles the ball. They run him off ball screens. Uh, I talked with Shire last week, and he says Mark Williams is coming along and looks like he's going to end up having a monster year. He's very confident in what Jeremy Roach can bring. And, uh, you know, we talked about this on the ACC preview, T.O., I feel like this is something of a throwback Duke team back to those teams uh, in the early 2000s that really got out and guard you really overplayed. um, Didn't let you run the offense that you were on a run had rim protection at the back uh, dared you to try to beat them one-on-one. And if you kind of look at the way this roster is built with the likes of AJ Griffin, assuming he is able to come back healthy and it sounds like, you know, that he he is going to, he's going to get there. It's going to take a a little while. going to take about a month, but he'll get back to hundred percent. Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, they have the athletes on the perimeter and kind of play that style. I expect Jeremy Roach to take a step forward this season as a sophomore. Um, and I think you say the same thing about Mark Williams. Remember, these are guys that did not have a chance to really acclimate to college last season because of everything that was going on during a, during a, a pandemic offseason. So um, I think it's going to end up being Duke. But again, look, both of these teams. Duke hasn't guarded. Duke hasn't guarded in like six or seven years. Like let's let's call a spade a spade. Duke hasn't guarded like Duke has been – like I grew up watching Duke guard. They haven't played defense like Shane Battier and Jay Williams since Shane Battier and Jay Williams. Like let's call a spade a spade. If Duke, they, I'm done. I'm done. They better guard. They better yeah. guard. The, I think we can put the ball in it like this. Both of those teams are going to have a real chance to win a national title this year. 
I think we, I think we can kind of all agree on that. All right. Uh, Fanta, you get this one first because this was your question that you submitted. Will Caleb Love respond from a rough freshman season and be able to lead North Carolina back to the top of the ACC? Yes, I do think that Caleb Love is going to bounce back. I think he's poised for it. There are a ton of people that have said around Chapel Hill, Caleb Love is ready to bounce back. So I, I think that for North Carolina, it was a situation last year where they were they were asking Love to do so much and R.J. Davis as well to just to, to do so much. And you're in a situation where Love's trying to process everything. He's trying to figure out exactly who he is as a player. I think he's going to bounce back here this year. And it was unfortunate to watch last season at times to, to the degree that he struggled. I think he's going to respond from this. And I fully expect him to bounce back. And I, I expect North Carolina – to be a team that's right there uh, at the finish line. I don't know if North Carolina is going to be right there at the start of the season, but I think that this, the ball's in love's hands. If they're going to be a team that can make a deep NCAA tournament run. And I expect experience pays off in this game, guys. It really does. He's got to be a better player uh, and even a more well-rounded person from what he had to endure through last year. I expect Mr. Love to bounce back. I think Caleb Love, the way North Carolina is going to play this year and the type of personnel, a type of personnel that they brought in is going to facilitate what he does really well, even more so. So we talk about the Carolina break. Hubert Davis is going to run the Carolina break for all intents and purposes. He's never known anything different. So you would assume that they're going to do a lot of up-tempo, push the ball ahead, second side offense stuff at Carolina. What they're going to do is they're going to pull that four man out. What's that going to do? That's going to create more space for Caleb Love. He's a rim attack guy. He's he's a rim attack guy first, a shoot it when you back off him guy. The problem last year is whenever he was able to get to the rim, he had Baycott and Garrison Brooks waiting on him or Walker Kessler waiting on him or the other big fellow that got drafted by the by the Nets, Dayron uh, De, Sharp. He was waiting on him. There was no space for him to operate. This year, he's going to have that. And also, Carolina guards in year two typically are much better. It takes a second for these kids to kind of get moving in the right direction, learn that they can give up the ball. They're all McDonald's All-Americans. Learn that they can give up the ball and they can get it on the backside of the offense and then attack when the defense has shifted. I expect Caleb Love to have an excellent year, and his perimeter shot is not broken. It never was. I expect him to shoot better percentages as well. Yeah, I, I want to kind of a little elaborate a little bit on that second season point that you just made, Tio, because I think that it's relevant. When I was in college, we ran – same offense that that Roy Roy Williams has been running and um, throughout his entire career and the thing about point guards in that offense is so much of it is making reads and kind of figuring out where the ball is supposed to go based off of the way that uh, uh, you know the defense is aligned where you're supposed to like how are you you supposed to make your next cut in the offense where are you supposed to end up based off the way that where the ball goes the a play that whoever you make that pass like there's if there's not a lot of structure to it. It, it so much of it is based off of kind of concepts and reads and understanding what you're doing in that system and when you don't have a full off season to kind of get used to it you don't really have that relationship with your teammates due to the isolation that comes with uh, a COVID off season. and it's your first year of college basketball it's not the easiest thing in the world to pick up so I do think that that one you're right he's going to have a much better uh, grasp of what he's supposed to be doing on that end of the floor two you're also right because of the shooting, Anthony Harris is going to be healthy. R.J. Davis is back. Kerwin Walton, I don't know if he missed a shot in ACC play last year. Yeah, he did. Brady Manning, knockdown guy. 
Dawson Garcia, he's going to have gravity and force defenses to guard him on the perimeter. All of a sudden, you have a kid that, one, made 13 of his last 34 threes in the final six games of the season. Two, is going to have a better grasp of the offense. Three, is going to take a sophomore jump because every sophomore makes a sophomore jump. That's just what happens when you're in college. And four, he's going to have more space to operate. Like that, it just makes too much sense that he's going to end up being really good. So you combine all of those things with the transfers they got coming in. I love it. Go ahead, Fancy. You got 45 seconds. He had the seventh highest usage rate in the ACC last year. And, and you talked about it, T.O., the front court, it it didn't always fit Caleb Love's type of game in attacking the rim. This stylistically is going to fit more. He's got a year under his belt. You brought up the name Dawson Garcia. Dawson Garcia does have gravity, and I think that he only showed some flashes last year. He was a pretty pretty good player, too, pretty good freshman. He's going to help provide some some interesting things for them. Caleb Love can be a Kobe White type of player. If he takes that leap, North Carolina could be an Elite Eight type of team. All right, perfect. In under the buzzer this time. How about that? We're done early. Before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up for Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their rush payments and approval, Withdrawing your winnings is safer, it's more secure, and it's more reliable. Now that basketball season is tipping off, get in on the action at betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And while I got you here, let's talk about the Field of 68 Media Network, where college basketball matters most all year round. This is a digital media and podcast network that we've been building over the course of the last year. We have shows hosted by some of your favorite players covering the program that they love the most. AJ Guyton hosts the House of Hoosier. Eric Devendorf covers Syracuse on the scorer's table. Dan Dickow hosts the Gonzaga Bulldog broadcast. We have Florida's Patrick Young and Duke's Andre Dawkins, and North Carolina's Shimon Williams, and Michigan's Sue Douglas, and Illinois' Deion Thomas. The list goes on and on and on. We have more than 30 shows right now. So hit the links below and check them all out. And while you're at it, make sure that you go check out the Field of 12 Media Network, your home for college football. All right, T.O., you're starting off with this one. It's a little bit of a, it's a doozy. All right, UCLA was a bubble team that couldn't guard prior to the NCAA tournament in 2021. On the day the NCAA tournament started, they were ranked 42nd on Kempom. They are essentially running it back this year with a freshman in Peyton Watson in place of an all-league win in Chris Smith. Why are we trusting them with a top 10 ranking heading into the season? Go ahead. Or why are we not trusting them? I think you're trusting them. I'm a little nervous about UCLA, and I'll tell you why. They lost four out of their five, last five whenever they were going into the tournament. And this is a team that, because of the pace they play, they were dead last in the Pac-12 in pace. They were 341st, according to Ken Palm, out of 357 teams. That leaves you vulnerable, especially in the tournament, when you're playing some of these smaller mid-major teams that are just going to hoist it from three. Look at what happened to Virginia when they were ranked. Now, they came back and won national championship, but – 
that's beside the point. My point is they are susceptible. Do they have length on the perimeter? Sure. Do they have Miles Johnson coming in to give them some rim protection? Absolutely. And Peyton Watson is a stud All-American who's put on 17 pounds since arriving on campus in Westwood. I like this UCLA team, but there are holes there that could be taken advantage of, especially when it comes to pace. Mm. I like this UCLA team. I do not love this UCLA team as much as the nation. <laughs> yeah, you're you're so good, Fanta. You, you fire me up. Are you kidding I me? Would, Keep going. I would go on a date with them. Yeah. I would go on a date with them. I don't know if I want to stand at the altar and wait for them in New Orleans. Okay? So I think that Miles Johnson was a great addition because – he was kind of the head of the snake defensively and of the front court for a Rutgers team that was seconds away, a possession away for making the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Great ad. Johnny Juzang, Jame Jaquez are two terrific players. But you mentioned it. When you play that slow of a style, you are susceptible. If you fall into a rut offensively, you are susceptible to losing to teams that you sh- probably shouldn't lose to based on if we're just judging on paper talent. Mick Cronin is a really good coach that develops an identity, a DNA of what he wants. I thought that DNA worked perfectly in the NCAA tournament last season, but just as that NCAA tournament run, if the DNA worked perfectly there, it could also flip like when Cincinnati lost a couple years ago to Nevada in the first weekend of the, of the tournament where yeah, Nevada had quite a bit of talent, but Cincinnati's style did not – it did not match up quite well in that matchup. I think that UCLA has really, really good talent. But the NCAA tournament, if we're going to say that there's a randomness to it and that's why the Big Ten failed last year in the NCAA tournament, we have to also say that there's a randomness to the NCAA tournament in that UCLA went from first four to final four – do I think that UCLA is just a shoe-in to make the Elite Eight and could make the Final Four again? I feel like a lot of people just are saying UCLA should be in the second weekend, no doubt should be contending for a Final Four. This sport is not that easy. Now UCLA has an absolute target on their back that they have not had before in a Pac-12 that seems to be better. So I like UCLA. Do I think that they are number one or number two in college basketball? based on past maybe, but I'm not buying that to that degree. I have a trust level for some teams we're going to talk about a little bit more. I, I buy into them and I trust them. And, and part of the reason is the guy that you just mentioned, Miles Johnson. I think that the biggest issue that UCLA had throughout last season was they played at such a slow tempo and they couldn't get stops in the tournament. They started getting stops and one and, and that reduces, uh, you mentioned the variance, Theo. That reduces the variance, and you're actually able to get stops against the team. You don't just have to outscore them, right? Um, I think Miles Johnson is a significant difference maker. They, did, they didn't have anyone like that, right? Once they lost, um, oh, I'm blanking on the kids, Jalen Hill. Once they lost Jalen Hill, they kind of lost any semblance of rim protection. Cody Riley, as effective as he was, he's not out there because of his defense. He's out there because of the ability that he has to kind of make things happen in the post. And, you know, he's a six foot seven. Five man. That's what he was last year. Miles Johnson's a lot bigger than six foot seven. Um, I also think it's important to note that while they're basically replacing Chris Smith with Peyton Watson, Chris Smith wasn't there after the first eight games of the season because he tore his yep. ACL. 
Uh, Peyton Watson, I think, is a very, very good defensive wing. And now all of a sudden you have Johnny Juzang and you have Jaime Hawkins and you have Peyton Watson that can kind of play that switchable two through four roles. They, they can all guard anyone in that spot. Um, you have experience with Tiger Campbell. Uh, I, I don't think that I would necessarily lock them into making a Final Four just because I don't think that anybody is um, is going to be head and shoulders above the rest of the country. But I have a ton of faith in them being able to find a way to make it work. There it is. Hey, and Tiger Campbell, last point, Tiger Campbell, he does a nice job of jamming the ball too. So like some of those pitch aheads that when UMBC yep. beat Virginia, it's not going to be as easy. So to kind of play devil's advocate to my own point. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they could still do it. I mean, I, of course they could. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. All right. So, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. There are still high expectations in Tuscaloosa this season, despite the fact that Alabama lost Herb Jones and they lost John Petty. Will the Crimson Tide still be able to defend at a high level with those two guys gone? Go ahead, and I just got to go get a package from my door real quick, so you're going to lose me in this video real quick. <laughs> well, first of all, I think Alabama's backcourt is going to be the strength as opposed to having a point forward like him last year. So I think Keon Ellis is going to have to step up and have a big year, and I also think that Juwan Gary – was a nice was a nice player for them. Now, is he going to get out there and do all the things defensively that Herb Jones did last year? Probably not, but he's going to be solid. What they will have this year, as opposed to last season, is solid rim is, is a solid rim presence in Charles Bediaco. Now, I know he's just a freshman, but the way Alabama plays, they're going to feed defenses right into his wheelhouse, which is using his athleticism and being around the bucket. They also added a a player named Noah Gurley, who I think is much better than people are giving credit for out of the gate. Of course, we're giving all the credit to Quinterly. We're giving all the credit to Shackelford. But Noah Gurley was an excellent addition out of Furman University, right up the road from me, Fanta. Scored over 1,000 points in in, uh, his first four years in college, and he's going to be somebody that's going to be relied upon in the offense. But as far as defense is concerned, they're going to need Bidiaco to be much to not much better because he's a freshman they're going to need him to be a presence around the basket for Alabama to be as successful on the defensive end this year as they were last yeah so I kind of go back to the theory of a UCLA having an insane run the Big Ten having kind of a disappointing march Mm -hmm. things sort of go back to the mean right so for Alabama the year before last they were 124th in defensive efficiency they go up to being a top 10 Ken Palm right. defensive efficiency team. I think things kind of go more towards the mean. But just because you lose Herb Jones in his defensive presence, I agree with you. I like the upside quite a bit of Jawan Gary and think that he's someone who, it, when you look at the metrics with last year when he was on the floor, there wasn't a heavy drop-off when Gary was on the floor for Alabama defensively. But if he can stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, if he, if can he can stay, stay healthy, healthy. which has we been an issue. About, we also talk about transfers. I agree with you on Noah Gurley, underrated. Our big theory is who were you coached by before you transfer? Namari Burnett is someone who has to round in a form, but the fact is he was under a really good staff at Texas Tech. Now, I think that Alabama will not be as good defensively as they were last year, but I think that they have a chance to be better offensively because Javon Quinterly over the course – down the stretch last season, towards the end, he was playing his very, very best basketball, finally understanding what Nate Oates wants him to do. And when you, you have Javon Quinterly and Jaden Shackelford manning that backcourt, 
really good things are going to happen to the Crimson Tide. They will not be as good defensively, but can they compensate for that with more experience among their guard play and a couple of impact transfers? Damn, do I trust Nate Oates. Yes, I like the Tide. They'll be different, but they'll still be very, very good. I I will say this. Um, One, did we talk about Burnett's injury? He tore his ACL, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. We did not talk about it because I just just left him off. But he didn't – I mean, he didn't really stand out at Texas Tech anyway. I'm not sure. It, it would have taken him some time anyway. But he was a McDonald's All-American kid, so he, he would have – was. But, two, the other values. thing, we, we talked about defense, right? Um, I spoke with Nate Oates, uh, I think it was late last week or early this week, and they love Keon Ellis. They think that Keon Ellis is going to be a guy that can step in and kind of play – something similar to the role that Herb Jones did defensively. Now, the thing that, they, that made Herb Jones so effective is that you could put him on the ball, and he was awesome, or you could put him off the ball and let him play free safety because you had guys like John Petty that were just as good on the ball. Uh, and, and you know, you have Herb Jones guarding a non-shooter. He could protect the rim. He can pick off passes on the weak side. Uh, any ball that he grabs, he's able to, to kind of grab and go and, and bring up himself um, as a point guard. So, Uh, That versatility, I think, is something that's going to hurt. But they're very high on Keon Ellis being able to kind of step in and play not the same role, but something a little bit similar. I also think it's worth noting that they do have – it's a young size, but they do have a lot of, like, kind of big athletic bodies, live bodies around the basket. So I do think that there's going to be a little bit more rim protection just kind of inherent in their front line. Uh, But it's going to – look, you have a freshman – you have Javon Quinley, who's never going to be known for his defense, and you have Jaden Shackelford, who's probably going to play a lot of three this year. That team is they're, – they're just never going to be great defensively. The question is going to be, can they be in the top 30 defensively on Kempom, or is this going to be another situation where they're kind of like around the top 100? Because if they're around the top 100, that's going to significantly lower their floor. But as long as they're good enough defensively, Fancy, you hit the nail on the head. I do think this team is going to have enough offensive firepower to kind of outweigh that to a point. And – Boom. All right. Nice. Next up, Fanta, you're getting this one first, man. The talking point this offseason for Kansas has been Remy Martin, right? Whether or not he's good enough, whether or not he could be a natural point guard. But the key to their season, in my mind, is going to end up being David McCormick. If you look at Bill Self's best teams, they always have a motherfucker at the five, someone you can give the ball to and know you're either going to get a bucket or a foul. Is David McCormick that guy? Uh, not to the degree that, that you're saying. You know, I, I think that David McCormick is a, a really, really good player. I don't know if he is that type of, of guy who's, who's going to be the Azabuki, uh, you know, that, that player in Kansas's system um, that, that is absolutely dominating the post. I, I, I don't know if I trust him to that degree. However, um, I think that the Kansas Jayhawks, are still in a, uh, a position where, look, they're, they're going to be a good basketball team if, if Remy Martin understands that he does not need to shoot the basketball the most out of anybody on this team. He has to set up others to shoot the basketball. Uh, and they have some very fitting pieces in their lineup that can make things happen if Remy Martin sets them up. Remy Martin to me, is the biggest key for Kansas if he embraces Bill Self's system and is able to play the way that the Kansas Jayhawks play offense. McCormick defensively, I really like him. Do I think, Rob, that on the offensive end of the floor that that he is dominating uh, or dictating the way that Kansas plays? 
and that's the formula for them to be the most successful. I don't think that. What do you think, T.O.? I'm not in that category. I like McCormick. I mean, he led the Big 12 in field goal percentage last year. And one thing that Self has always done is he doesn't have the size as Udoka Azubuki had before him, but he's a, he does a great job of getting his early work done around the basket. So he seals extremely deep. He scores the most of his – he scores the most baskets without even dribbling. He does a great job of sealing in the post. He's going to be unbelievably efficient once again. While he doesn't have that size offensively, I feel like if he can still be around that 15 to 16-point mark and be a double-double threat every night, I think he could – be Big 12 player of the year. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he could be that guy. Uh, he is important because of the way Kansas likes to play. But defensively, he's developed into a rim protector. When he came out of Oak Hill, he wasn't quite that. That's the reason it took him a long time to start playing. But he stuck around. He stuck with it. And now he's developed into a solid pick-and-roll defender. He's, a, he's developed into a solid rim protector. Uh, Remy Martin's important. But I have so much confidence in Bill Self. And I think that's our next question. But – I, I just have a feeling that McCormick's going to have a huge year for for a multitude of reasons, but more so than anything, that he's one of the best early work post players in the entire country. And it took a while for him to get there. Like that's the thing about yeah, it. Yeah. When I when we did this pod last year with with uh, with Deshaun Butler, like Deshaun loved McCormick, but it took me a long time to kind of come around on him because for the first probably month of the season. Every time that this dude sealed in the post, he was taking turnaround jumpers. He was fading away from the basket. It was like it was like he thought he was 6'8", 210 instead of mm-hmm. seven foot two fifty. Like that dude, once he decides to go through people to the rim, you can't stop him because of how strong he is. Mm-hmm. And by the time that Big Twelve play came around last year, he kind of got to that point. Um, he play, he averaged twenty four minutes a game in Big Twelve play. He led Kansas in scoring. And he was second on the team in rebounds in per minute rebounds or per 40 minutes or however you want to, to, to measure that. Like he, he, he was the best rebounder and the best scorer on that team. Like you said, he was the most efficient shooter in the big 12 and he shot 83% from the foul line. Like I, I, I think that that dude is going to have a monster, monster season this year. And I think that he's going to be able to kind of figure out what, like, look, if you watch Bill self play, that dude is so good at scheming up ways to get his five men a chance to seal. And the fact, like you said, T.O., he's so good at kind of like the early offense and, and doing his work before he gets the ball in his hands. I think he's going to be really, really, really effective for him. And I think that's going to be important for a team where I don't know if they have a pro. I don't know if they have an NBA player. I don't know if you can trust Oshai or Remy Martin or Jalen Wilson or Jalen Wilson is. Yeah. Jalen Wilson's a pro. Can I ask a question here? Go ahead. What was the original, what was the original question? Whether or not we think David McCormick can be good enough to be able to carry like his bill self needs a monster five man. His best teams have monster post players and uh, whether or not he's good enough to be that guy. And I think here's my take. My, my, my one take is I think he's good enough to be that guy. I think some Kansas players have to make sacrifices in order for him to be oh, the guy. 100%. And we're going to get into that. You know what? Let's just get straight into the next question then because uh, I think it's – No buzzer? No. Well, hey, fan of change it up on us, man. Fan of change it up Curve on ball. us. Um, Curveball. So we spent a lot of time talking about the inefficiency of the guards in the Big 12, right? If you look at kind of who's transferring in in the top three programs, we have James Akinjo – we have Marcus Carr and we have Remy Martin. And those three guys have never really won at a level that you would expect out of teams that are where they're now 
veteran point guards, right? Like we talk about Remy all the time because of his inefficiency and his inability to win big games. And I think it's really interesting that the guy that is kind of considered the, uh, the, the good incoming transfer is Marcus Carr, who shot a lower field goal percentage than Remy last season, shot a lower three point percentage than Remy Martin last season, had the same offensive rating, which was not very good at the same kind of usage rate. And in his career at Pitt, and that Minnesota is 14 and 44 in conference play. He went 0 and 18 as a freshman at Pitt. He won 14 games in two seasons at Minnesota. And this is the guy that we're anointing as the star point guard for a Texas team that we think can win a, the, the Big 12. Remy Martin was the, the, the leader and the point guard in the face of so many disappointing and underwhelming teams at Arizona State. Uh, T.O., why don't you take this one first? Why should we buy into these point guards in the Big 12? And do you think that Remy and Marcus Carr are, are going to be good enough to carry teams that we expect to win national titles? Look at the coaches they're going to be playing for. I mean, that's my biggest point right away. Remy Martin's going to have weapons everywhere with their starting lineup. Uh, Ibaji, Christian Braun should be a better shooter this year. Only shot like 33% last year. He He's a better shooter than that. He was a 40% shooter as a freshman. He'll be better this year. And then they also have Jalen Wilson, who I'm in disagreement a little bit with you, Dawson. I think he's a pro. I think he's really, really good. And Bill Self is going to be like, hey, I've gotten enough guys to the NBA. You don't want to listen to me? Come on, let's be better. Uh, you look at Texas. I, so that's why I'm buying Remy, uh, because I think he gives Kansas something they didn't have last year. Somebody could get in the paint off the dribble. They needed that. Texas, you look at Chris Beard and who he's brought in. He's always brought in transfers. Last season, he brought in a, uh, a guard that was very inefficient at his previous stop in the Big East. Mac, Mac McClung, Georgetown, who just signed a contract with the Lakers. I don't know if it was a two-way or not, but he does well with guards like that because he can put them in position. But he also gives them enough freedom to go make plays at the end of the game. Look what happened. Texas Tech was at Texas last year when McClung hit it at the end of the year. Beard just said, go, go be you. But I'm going to play. I'm going to make you play within these restraints. But once we get to the end of the game, I'm going to let you be you. And then, of course, Scott Drew at Baylor. That might not be a better fit for a Kenjo. So I like all three guards. I like all the coaches that they're going to play for. I think it's a good fit. Those three teams at the top of the Big 12 with Oklahoma State just kind of waiting over there in the weeds. I think those guards are all in perfect situations for both their personalities and style of play that what the big, big 12 kind of represents and the style of play that they employ. I think it's a process of a realization of your role. That's right. Yeah. So so that that's the biggest thing here. And to me, the player who is set up most to realize what that role is, is Marcus Carr because he is playing alongside Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones in the backcourt. And I think Courtney Ramey has all the makings of being that knockdown shooter who who is consistently knocking those shots down when he has someone that's helping him out too and setting him up. And I look at what Texas is guys. And I see a team that has a mix of impact transfers, guards who stayed in Austin and a head coach now who he has built everything organically. Chris Beard has done everything throughout his career the tough way. He's gone about it the the tough way. It's how he builds programs. And having seen him, if he could build Mac McClung into a more efficient player, that is the biggest case of an ability to coach up a guard and get him to become more efficient. That, I, that I've seen the last couple of seasons because I watched McClung at Georgetown, and frankly, he was inefficient and then some. I look at Texas, guys, 
And I was, I was up late last night. Okay. I'm in bed, I'm tossing and turning and I'm doing homework on this podcast. And I probably should have looked up that, uh, uh, Namari tore his ACL by the same token. Um, I was up late t- tossing and turning, and I start to hey, look. You know, but you just needed news breaker Terrence Oglesby to jump in there and let you know. That's what it was. I, did. I don't want to be that guy. I, I exactly that guy. what I need in my I need that in my life. I should. Ha- I, there should be an Oglesby Plus. We sign up for text alerts. We pay $3.99 a month. Okay, I digress. I'm up late. I'm looking around. $3.99. Everybody, some people need a midnight snack. I took a look at Texas's team, and by God – when I looked at them again, guys, the more I look at Texas, the more I say, man, this team could be the best team in college basketball this yeah. season. And if Marcus Carr has a realization of that, he's set up perfectly for success down at Texas. Akinjo, I think, is a quality player, Rob. I'm not sure about his supporting cast. For Kansas, I, Remy Martin's got to have this switch to self ball. I love Marcus Carr in Texas the most out of these three situations. So I'm going to go with Carr. So I, the only thing I'll say is this. Join me. You're, you're 100% correct <laughs> in, in the point. You're 100% correct in saying that these guys need to be able to accept the role and accept the responsibility of the job that they're in. I'll just say these guys are four years into their college careers and it's very hard to get a leopard to change his spots. At some point, you kind of are what you are as a player, and that is my biggest concern with both of those guys. It's not whether or not they can accept the role. It's whether or not they can actually do that role and if it's, they're, they're capable of playing that way. Who wait, wait, quickly. That's perfect for no rebuttal. Perfect. Yeah. Wait, which, which of the three teams, if one of those guards didn't pan out, who do you trust the most out of those three teams? If what, the guard doesn't pan out? Yeah. Um, probably uh, – Kansas, just because I think I trust Bill Self more than anything else. Um, Chris Beard, I will say this. They have been very impressed impressed with Devin Askew. Very impressed with Devin Askew. So maybe, you know, maybe I am, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to change my pick. I'm going to go with Texas. There you come on the, get on the bag, get on the covered wagon. (laughs) Hook the covered wagon. (laughs) You ever play Oregon Trail in grade school? The old computer game? Come on. I didn't make it very long. (laughs) I was dead about halfway through the day. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. So, uh, Texas, officially a basketball school, according to the one and only John Fanta. All right. Next question we got. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the Big 12. I'm going to switch up the order just a little bit. I know this is going to throw T.O. off. You just saw him get nervous right there. Uh, but Baylor, we, we didn't really touch on them too much. They're coming off of their national title, but they're losing so much of the talent and the leaders and the heart and the soul of what made <laughs> – this program, what it was the last two years, Mark Vidal's gone, Jared Butler's gone, Davion Mitchell's gone. I think that as much as Scott Drill, Drew has built something there, it was those people in that locker room that made the difference more than anything else. So my question to you, uh, and Tio, we're going to go to you first on this one. Can Baylor continue to win at the same level they've been winning at without those three guys involved? Go ahead. So your three guys, did you include Macy Oteague? Uh, four guys. Yeah. Throw them in four guys. So those four guys, uh, obviously it, it makes it really difficult because that's three guys that can break you down off the dribble. And Ken Joe is really the only guy that has proven the ability to do that, uh, on this Baylor team. And look, Baylor's got pieces. They don't have 
as many dynamic pieces with the ball as Baylor had last year. I think that's significant. And then you also look at Mark Vidal, I thought was so important to that team because he could literally guard one through five. And then he just, I mean, you saw in the championship game against Gonzaga, he just beasted everybody. Now, are you going to have that? You might. Jamwa Chachwa, he is a heck of a defender. He is a heck of an athlete. I'm not sure he can switch one through five, but he could be that energy piece that Vital was. He was uh, significant. I also think to say they're going to win in the same manner, to, to, to say they're going to win a national championship, that, that, that rarely, yeah, if ever. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, so to be clear, I'm not putting that level of expectation on them. I'm saying, is this going to continue to be a top five to 10 team without those guys? Because that's kind of like, I, I think that's a fair expectation for a program like programs at that level you're going to have years where you're a top 10 team you're going to have years where you're the best team in the country it's just kind of like however the pieces happen to fit that season you know what i'm saying well the way they're recruiting i would assume yes i mean they they have a couple of freshmen or one just towards acl that's it's awful news yo breaking news again fancy were you aware of this thank you i I subscribe to oglesby plus you only break you only break SoCon realignment and ACL news. What a what a thrill! Man. Yeah, well, yeah, what? Well, yeah, make sure you subscribe to that one. Uh, okay, so I, I, have a, I have a hot take on this. Can I? Can I? Can I give you guys my hot take? Oh no! Do on the SoCon or Baylor? Baylor. So <laughs> oh, I okay, just making sure. My my hot take is that you know how we spent the entirety of last season talking about how great Gonzaga was and how they had a chance to go undefeated and how they yeah. might be one of the best college basketball teams ever. My my take is that if Baylor does not have their COVID shutdown in the middle of February. Remember, they were they were out for three weeks. They didn't play for three weeks. There was a 23-day stretch where they did not practice for 21 days. Sure. If they don't have that shutdown, they we're not lose. talking about Gonzaga as potentially being one of the best basketball teams, best college basketball teams we've ever seen. We're talking about Baylor. Before that happened, Baylor went into Texas and won by, I think it was like 19 points. And after that game, the next morning, you woke up and they were ranked above Gonzaga on Ken Palm. And, um, and at that time, right, like they were, that's when they were just kind of hitting their stride. And my take is that if that doesn't happen, we're having a conversation about Baylor as the best college basketball team of all time. I think they probably end up going undefeated throughout the season. Uh, and I think that we would have looked up in, 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 wow. in April and what we would have said is, wow, no one was able to keep it within 20 points of them in the NCAA tournament. This might be the best college basketball team that we've seen in the one and done modern era of the sport. Uh, and so putting, putting any level of expectation near that on this group they have right now, I think is just completely unrealistic. What I will I say is this, I do think, that that culture is real there. I do think that what Scott Drew has built is real. And I do think that it's going to be a place where you can get guys like a James Akinjo, who might've been, you know, something of a knucklehead at previous spots. We'll, we'll, we'll phrase it nicely. Um, I think you can get them into that program and it can kind of help them realize their potential a little bit, if that makes a little bit of sense. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this Baylor team continuing to be a top 10 caliber program for the long term, as long as Scott Drew decides that he wants to stay in Waco. So a leper can change? I I don't think that this is Akinjo playing differently. I think this is Akinjo being a different kind of person. Like, look. The, being a, he's being surrounded by a better yes. culture. Fanta, like, you know this. Like you covered standard is different yes. at, at Baylor than it was at some of his previous spots. Yes, yes. And, just, and, and the thing with Akinjo is um, – 
if you ask other stops that he was at, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people that will tell you that he was a little bit of an asshole, right? And I think that getting him in a culture at Baylor where the level of competitiveness and the level of expectation and the level of focus on the sport is going to be akin to what Akinjo is as a person, I think that that's going to be much, much better for him. There's you can, Georgetown was a bad fit in terms of the focus of what a lot of those kids had uh, off the floor. Uh, Arizona was a bad fit because it was a roster full of Europeans that have never been around a kid like James Akinjo before in terms of his competitiveness, where he's from. I mean, he's Oakland born and bred and, you know, I mean, Gary Payton, Dame Lillard, guys like that. And I think getting him into that uh, Baylor culture where there's that level of expectation of winning and defense and whatever, I think is going to be good for him. Go ahead, Fancy. You got 15 seconds. Yeah, I think I think that for Baylor, uh, I feel like a, this is like a bad CNN debate. I mean, my God, you're just giving me 15 seconds. In, in five seconds, I'll say this. Okay, look, I hit pause. I hit pause at eight seconds. You guys can see that. I paused it at eight seconds. Go ahead. Fanta, Perfect. the floor is yours. It's Fanta Plus right now. 99 cents a month right here. Let's go. That's cheap. Um <laughs> I'd go over to McDonald's with that. Forget the subscription. <laughs> Matthew Meyer needs to play at an All-American level for Baylor to be top five. So um, you're asking if they stay in the top five or ten. I think it's Meyer's got to take the keys to the car. And instead of this, hey, we've seen in bits and pieces just how high of a motor he plays with, uh, that that he could take over. Remember, like last year, was, uh, Sharif Cooper, I think he was giving him the business and he was just playing so hard. I think Matthew Meyer is is someone who he's got to take the keys to this car and not be, you know, what you see in the stat sheet is averages eight and five, that he comes in and he's averaging 16 a game for this Baylor team. Their post defense is going to be good. They got a point guard. They need someone who they can give the ball to who's going to score for them on the wing. I think it, I think this is a very deep team. Depth doesn't always translate to being outstanding. You got to find your seven guys that are that are really going to take it here to to that level. So I like Baylor. They are one of the best programs. I would take Baylor, Nova, um, Gonzaga, and now even Texas with Chris Beard. I would have taken Texas Tech before over some of the blue bloods in this modern era of the sport. Baylor's not going anywhere, guys. This this is not a one or two hit wonder. Scott. Drew's here to stay. He is here to stay. I think it's going to be a top 20 team moving forward. Yeah, top 20, not top five. Top five is hard because there's so much variance in college basketball right now. I think it's going to be tough. But I think top 20 is completely feasible, especially with the talent they're bringing in, with Jeremy, was it Sochan, the Polish kid that's coming over that played at La Lumiere, Kendall Brown, 6'8", McDonald's All-American, super talented, getting rave reviews coming out of Waco. It's going to keep rolling, and they're going to keep – basically getting in the transfer portal because that's what he's done for so long. And they've won a national championship by doing that. And it's a, it's, it, what is it? A copycat league. They call that the NBA. It looks like it's starting to turn into a copycat league with all the college basketball because people saw what Baylor did and now they're starting to adjust, but Baylor just has more experience in doing so. Top five's tough. Top 15 feasible. All right. Look at so- Lexington. Look at, you, you said adapting. Look at Lexington. Yep. Yep, 100%. All right, let's move on. Uh, The next question, you touched on Gonzaga a little bit. My biggest question with this team this season, they're they're so talented, but can a team that is built around two players that are at their best when they are playing the five win a national title uh, in the modern era of basketball when neither of those guys are kind of like the big 
physical defensive presences that you would expect out of like a Big Ten five. And I'm referring to specifically Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. Fanta, I saw you rubbing your hands. Can we go to him first, T.O.? I think go to him. He's got to take. All right, let's go. The clock is going. The clock. Look, there you go, Fanta. The clock is running. It's right supposed now. to go one, two, three, not one, two, back to one. You ruined that whole last one. <laughs> Here's my hot take. My hot take is I think one of the biggest keys to this Gonzaga team is, is actually Anton Watson uh, because I think he's a real X-factor type of player. He He's a guy who was a top 50 recruit and has kind of been waiting here to fully blossom. Keep an eye on him. But to answer your pressing question of Holmgren and Timmy and how does that dynamic work, you know, I – we have to see it take place. I mean, we, we have to see what this looks like because Timmy is slow-footed. I mean, he, he's, a, he's not a fast player, and they they play around him. Can they play around two guys that are very like-minded in, in what they do and how they go about it? I'm not, I don't know about that. Um, I wonder if Mark Few gets experimental. Could we see a world where they're playing together? Uh, at the same time, and, and how much do we see that happen? Uh, I don't know if if Gonzaga, like, they're they're viewed as the best team and the best program in college basketball. Uh, but I don't know if a team with two players um, that are doing what Timmy and Holmgren do with similar things, similar types of roles, I'm not sure if that is far and away the best formula to be a national champion. I think that last year's team – Last year's team, to me, was better equipped to win a national championship and ran into an absolute buzzsaw at the end of the season than Baylor. I would say that this team has some things to solve. They bring in more talent. Uh, Mark Few has made some real quality additions, so make no mistake about it. Like, Do I expect Andrew Nemhard to be a guy who's leading that backcourt charge and he's He's got assistance. There's no doubt about it with that. Iowa State transfer, Rasir Bolden, who's a bucket getter as well. I think Gonzaga is, is a great basketball team. But I don't know if the Holmgren-Timmy dynamic lends itself for them to be the national champion in this sport this year. I have my doubts on this working as well as people might think it will work. I, I'm in a little bit of a disagreement with Fan on this one because I think Chet Holmgren is more of a three than he is a four or a five. Uh, he's somebody who thrives on the perimeter with his ability to step out and hit shots. He's somebody who's better when he's cutting towards the basket. He's not going to be somebody who gets the ball in a standstill position and then find a way to do things. He is most lauded because of his shot blocking ability. I think that's elite. Everybody here in a, here is in agreement with it with that. But he's also so athletic and so fast that he's going to have some of these block shots where he's just swooping over on help side. That's where he's most efficient. Timmy is slow-footed, sure. Put Timmy on the five, put Holmgren on the four, and let Holmgren kind of roam the paint and roam help side, and then you're going to get a lot of his major benefits defensively for Holmgren. But I think Holmgren, offensively, he's so skilled with the basketball, especially on the perimeter, handling it, passing it, things like that. I think it's going to work because their strengths kind of fit. Like Drew Timmy – is a clinician in the post with his footwork. He is a clinician when he gets it at the high post and been able to, you know, get his shoulder on guys' hips and then finish that way. He's not overly athletic, but Chet Holmgren is. I think that it's going to work because the skill sets are there for them to work with Holmgren able to shoot the three and with Holmgren able to be more of a cutter 
than necessarily a dunker spot guy because he only weighs like 170 pounds. So I think like the fact that he has to function so far away from the basket and Timmy does his best work at the elbow or on the block, I think that's going to help that dynamic a lot more. Plus Gonzaga has got players all around them as well. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think the issue is going to be on the offensive end of the floor there. I mean, they're they're going to be able to score. I have no doubt about that. And and T.O., you're 100% right about the dynamic with Timmy and and Chet. Like they're, I don't know how you stop them offensively. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about how they get stops. Um, See what worries you about that? Because to me, like when I watch when I watch home, there's no play, there's no physicality in their front court, right? Like I think that you can kind of play a little bit of bully ball with Timmy and a little bit of bully ball with Holmgren, and we saw what can kind of happen when you have guys that are more athletic that can space them out and that can kind of keep them from getting the position that you want them to be able to get when they played Baylor last year. Now that said. Baylor was really the only team that had the ability to do that to them. And I've already told you guys what I think about last year's Baylor program. So maybe I'm just kind of like picking nits and trying to find warts on a team. That's awesome. But my concern is on the defensive end of the floor. So I think, but but Timmy, but Timmy, like if he just squares up and puts his chest on guys, if they're trying to score over top, that's when Holgren's going to come in. Well, that's what I, mean, I was going to say. He's not going to be a, I'm guarding the ball blocking shots because he oh, is going to yeah. be put in the paint. Yeah. The, but if the, he's able to come, like if he's in the opposite corner or they they manufacture some defensive schemes to where he's in that low he's in that low spot on help, man, yep. he's going to be an unbelievable shot blocker. Yeah, we talked about Herb Jones playing kind of that like free safety help side defense, put him on a non shooter, just let him kind of roam kind of mm-hmm. defense. I, yeah, I, I would expect to see Holmgren kind of do a lot of that. And I don't think he's going to get exposed in the WCC. I just don't think they're enough good teams, but uh, it will be interesting to see how that ends up working. I mean, they get Texas in what, like the second weekend of the season, something like that. Yeah. First weekend of the season. Yeah. First weekend of the season. And I actually think that that's a situation where Texas is backcourt. As much as Gonzaga's loaded up, we still got to give our due credit to Jalen Suggs and everything that he meant to Gonzaga. I mean, early in the season, if you remember what they did, to Kansas. No, you're, you're right. The only thing that I will say is this, Fanta. Nolan Hickman is going to be really, really good. He's not going to be Jalen Suggs good because there's very few people that end up being Jalen Suggs good at the college level. But he's going to be really good. Andrew Demhart is back. Razier Bolton is back. I'm not uh, – yes, they lost Jalen Suggs. They lost Corey Kisper. I'm I'm not worried about that. They're, they're, I think their guards are going to be absolute studs. So. Yeah, I- I think I think it's a great debate. Like when when I look at Gonzaga now, every year I'm tra- I'm treating them as do I think they could win the national championship? Mm-hmm. Like that's how I'm. So so we're not trying to talk them down. If if folks are upset at us criticizing, well, I think that Chet, I, I think people will be. I think Chet Holmgren's going to be a talented player, and I agree with To offensively. Holmgren and Timmy do do different things. I really should should clarify the defensive end of the floor is where I'm most intrigued to see because. I think you could be more physical than Holmgren. Um, and I, I'm curious to see how that affects the game in terms of backside blocks. And like you said, him being able to fly in. We'll see. I, I think it's a really interesting dynamic between those two players, Timmy and Holmgren. Yeah. When, when we're trying to, when our, our weakness is like, yeah, we don't know if this ability to actually stop people is necessarily going to work. That kind of tells you how good, uh, we think this team is going to end up being. All right, last oh, yeah. one we got. Last one we got, and we're going to get out of here. Can the reclassification experiment work 
at the University of Memphis. I have no idea who's who's who we're going to first on this one. So let's just go. T.O., I'm going to go with you because it seemed like you were a little bit sensitive last time I went to Fanta first. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw that, huh? Uh, I, I think it would work if Memphis had a steadying presence, but I don't think they do. Uh, I mean, Tyler Harris transferred from Iowa State. Uh, has never really won. Alex Lomax has been really good defensively, but has he been a settle down point guard to get them in what they want to do? He hasn't been yet. Uh, they are very talented. You know, could Earl Timberlake run a little point guard? Could Imani Bates run a little point guard? They, they both could, but then you're taking them away from what they really do well. And that's what kind of worries me more than anything. The reclassification experiment should be good. And with Jalen Duran, like he's college ready. You and I both saw it at Peach Jam, Fanta. I, I, have you seen Duran in person? No. It's, no, I, it's I will, like, I will it, only come out to Brooklyn. It's um, like Zeus just got his braids put in. Like the dude is unbelievable, like built. He looks like Ben Wallace and he could have that wow. kind of influence wow. defensively. Like he is big time athlete. He was ready. But from an offensive standpoint, that's where I worry about Memphis because defensively, like we've said multiple times, Best in the country last year, according to a lot of to, to Ken Palm metrics. Best defense in the country still didn't make the tournament. This team cannot score and hasn't been able to score since Penny got there. Do they have a settle down guy for him to be able to fix that this year? That's what that's to be de, to be determined. TBD to be determined. That was awful, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> to be determined. Yeah, you ask, can it work? Okay, the answer to that question is yes, it can work. It can work. Um, this might be a bit of a, a, a pie-in-the-sky type of goal. I think that there's merit to bringing in Larry Brown. Uh, I think that, that, look, he's seen his fair share of basketball. I know that he's, a, he's an elder statesman, but I think he'll help them uh, with their design of their offense coming into this coaching staff. You know, do they have a steadying presence? They really don't. Um, so I agree with you there, T.O. If if Earl Timberlake stays healthy, I do wonder about their ability to utilize Timberlake because I think that I'm – I'm not saying that he got misused at Miami, but I don't think he ever rounded into his top form at mm-hmm. Miami at his first stop. So he maybe – He was never healthy. That was the big thing. Like he, he was, was never healthy. He was never healthy. So if he stays healthy and they can find a way to evolve his skill set, he could be that guy um, that, that I think could be an X factor to this basketball team. You know that they're going to defend. Um, and you know that, that having Landers Nolly back, that, that he's a guy who, who can help that offense and has before. I, I don't know, though. When you, when you don't have a steadying presence in your backcourt and you are now relying on him, Monty Bates and Jalen Duran uh, to come in and be shining stars in this sport. It's just so hard to be able to make it work when you don't have a lot of answers as to who is managing the game late at the one spot. Uh, and, and that's a question that if you're asking that question all season, that's what could keep you from the NCAA tournament. So do I buy Memphis as I think they're preseason number 12 in the AP top 25? I don't think they're the 12th best team in the country. I think it can work. I think this team can make the NCAA tournament. I think they play in a conference that will allow them to go on a run just with their defense alone. But I have my question marks in terms of uh, veteran performance on the offensive end of the floor. Well, yeah. here's my thing, Doster, too. Like you said it on the Tennessee podcast, it was – if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. 
Yeah. Like look at their look at their roster. I'm sitting here, I have it pulled up, but Earl Timberlake, can he play the point? Yeah. Is he a point guard? No. Imani Bates, can he play the point? Yeah. Is he a point? No. Same for Nolly. Same for uh, let's see, Lester Keones. He could bring it up. I mean, they don't really, they're they're gonna have to have a lot of stuff manufactured for them because all those guys that I just brought up, they're looking for their own. Who's gonna be that guy that kind of jettisons this young reclassification group? into their spots and gets those guys shots whenever they're having a hard time playing at Houston. Like who's going to be the guy that helps them get those things. It's going to be up to Penny to manufacture a lot of these shots because they don't have a point guard that's getting in there. Well, I don't think, it, I don't think it's going to be up to Penny. I think it's going to be up to Larry Brown and um, Cody. Top. Yeah. Penny, Penny's going to have the defense. I think Cody and Larry are going to have the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this. Uh, I think that, managing feelings and managing egos is going to be really important. Landers Nolly and neither of the Lawson's were available for the Memphis exhibition. Um, Amani didn't play either, but they said that it was a, a late, a, a deep thigh bruise. But I think that making sure that everybody is happy with the situation and happy with the playing time and maybe not uh, upset that they're not starting or getting X many minutes per game is something that is going to be very difficult for Penny to manage. But if you look, there it is. That's the alarm that I wake up to every morning, by the way. So that's why uh, if, I, if you get me and I'm grumpy before um, 8 a.m., that's probably why, because that's the noise that, that rests me out of my slumber. So uh, anyways, gentlemen, this has been fun. This has been the burning questions, pressing questions, however you want to phrase it, podcast for John Fanta at the Biggie Studios. Who's got a guess? Oh, who do we have here? Yeah, Maggie Caffrey, my colleague. We're just oh, recording the all right, special guest uh, and, and Terrence Oglesby. No guests in the background for Terrence Oglesby. Uh, you're, you're now, you're, you're SoCon insider, Terrence Oglesby. I'm Rob Dawson. This was the DTF Podcast. Thank you.